Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. Your heart just falls through the bottom of your feet and you just hear that your partner who's just lost his daughter and been in an accident has just been arrested. You know, it's hard to imagine for many of us how life can turn from laughing, giggling and having the time of your life with your kids one second to the next second losing one if not the most precious thing in your life to a tragic accident that could have happened to any of us. How many times have we done something that we've known and been warned is dangerous? It's a bit silly. We knew that it could cause a serious injury, but we wanted to push those boundaries just that little bit further for a bit more of a thrill. How many times have we bought something new where we've been instructed on the correct clothing, the safety precautions to adhere to the many directions and signs plastered all over our new purchase? And then they give you that video to watch on how to use this machinery instructional safety video and how not to treat this new machine as a toy because that's what happened to our next guest, Teresa Humphrey. Teresa and her partner Rick had literally just an hour before picked up a brand new four-wheel drive all-terrain vehicle, better known as a buggy to just have a bit of fun on around their property. And the kids were just beside themselves with excitement, let alone the biggest kid of them all, Rick. But tragedy struck within minutes of their first ride in the buggy. Rick lost control of the buggy and Sophie 
Rick's nine-year-old daughter was killed. Rick was charged and went to court one day and he was told to bring a toothbrush and a few clothes, quote, just in case he was remanded, unquote. Not for one minute was anyone thinking that that would be the case. Rick didn't come home for the next two years and three months. Teresa and Rick's lives were turned upside down to say nothing of the many other families who are affected by this tragedy. Teresa wants to share her story with you to talk about the power of local community support and how she now wants to help others thrown into the world of police, courts, jail and parole. There's no TAFE or Unicors on how to manage anything when your partner is suddenly sent to jail, leaving you to manage three shell-shocked boys aged 13, 4 and 4 months, a business, school, the kinder duties, family issues, financial sediments and adding to all that, the grief and the trauma. Oh, dear. Thank you so much for your time today, Teresa. Thank you. How are you feeling? Yeah, it was um, – it's a lot when you say it like that. You know, at the, at the time it doesn't – I guess you don't really think about it, but when you hear it back like that, it's like, oh, yeah, that was pretty intense, pretty um, – a lot to go through. Yeah, it is. Um, and I – as you say, just reading it, I think to myself, my God, how did this woman cope? But today we'll have a chat about it and uh, I'm sure it wasn't, um, well, of course, I'm stating the bleeding obvious, but it wouldn't have been easy. But So can we start with maybe you telling us a bit about your blended family? You'd um, Rick had a, a daughter from another relationship. Did you have kids from another relationship as well? Yeah, so I've got an older son. Um, who was six when we when Rick and I met, and Rick had Sophie, who was four. So the two boy and a girl pigeon pair, um, both um, their only children in that aspect. Um, so when they got together, they were both just beside themselves with excitement about having someone to, you know, <laughs> hang out with, play with, ride motorbikes with, yeah, um, all that stuff. Swimming pool, you know, they were always together. A um, couple of little crazies out on their motorbikes, and we live on five acres. And yeah, um, Rick built them a motorbike track, and yeah, they were forever out there, just little daredevils, crazy little motorbike riders. Oh, and and not only did they have someone to play with, but well, yeah, it's probably well, the wrong term, but yes. you had something. <laughs> you and Rick had, yes. a, you know, you had somebody yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was, it was, it was, yeah, perfect. You know, the um, the two kids, and then a, f- a couple of years later, we added another one. So we had, you know, another little boy together. So we had, we used to laugh and say we had a his, mine, and ours family. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So oh. no, it was all. It was. It was good. And uh, prior to the accident, which we'll talk about in a minute. So how long had you and Rick been together when? Uh, this all happened? Um, that's a really good question. Um, six, five years. Okay, right. Five years, yeah. So it, it's been, you know, we'd gone through Black Saturday bushfires together, um, which is a whole other 
you know, story and saga. Um, and, yeah, then we had Tom and then, um, which is um, – not Tom, that's the other one, Jack. <laughs> um, and, yeah, Jack was um, just short, one month short of his second birthday when the accident happened. Oh, gee. Um, yeah. You told me a lovely little story about the last photo that you took of Sophie, Rick's daughter that passed away. Uh, can you? I just thought we, it might be nice to start off with um, describing that photo for us. So Soph was, she's a tomboy but really girly tomboy. Like so the photo is she's dressed up in all her motorbike gear, helmet, you know, um, the armour, the pants, but she's wearing her pink bubblegum gum boots. <laughs> And a pair of fairy wings complete with fluffy blue trim on the fairy wings. And she's on her little Yamaha 50. And for this particular day, she was just, Trees, can I, because they called me Trees, Trees, can I wear me fairy wings? I'm like, knock yourself out, buddy. You know, it was just (laughs) such a, it was such a Sophie moment because it was like, here she is all motorbike and, you know, motocross gear, but with fairy wings and pink gumboots. I was thinking to myself when you said, uh, that she was a tomboy but a girly tomboy, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I don't know quite how that works, but that photo, yeah, well, you <laughs> just explain, yeah, tells you it all. you have your pink gum boots with your black <laughs> motorbike gear and your fairy wings, you know. Oh. So it was, just, it was just such a hysterical Sophie moment because she just used to do things like that all the time. So, And how long after that photo did pa- uh, Sophie pass away? I can't actually remember when that photo was taken um, I think I actually think it was a couple of years, so I don't think it was one of the last ones. I think it was, yeah, but it was just the epitome of Sophie. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, it's almost like we're talking about something so beautiful, but now uh, I wanted to ask you, we're going from one extreme to the other, aren't we? Now I wanted to ask you if you could tell us about maybe the build-up to that day, uh, that fateful day, but changed your lives forever yep so um both of the kids knew that we'd purchased the buggy and were super excited and both of them like wanted to to be there for the pickup of it so we i picked them up from school and drove them there and rick had driven to the pick it up in his truck um, and we did the handover and um, there's a, a photo that the, the salesman had taken of the two kids in there with him at the venue and um, which is probably the last photo that was ever taken of the three of them and they were all super excited and I said to the kids, you know, do you want to do you want to come home with me? No, 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 we're going with, you know, Dan and Rick in the truck with the buggy. Yeah. Sure, no worries, you know. Yeah. I know when I'm wanted. Um, <laughs> so I'd taken, um, yeah, so that it was just so much excitement around it. So I took the little one home on my own from from the dealer and um, dealership and and they went with, you know, Dad and Rick in the buggy, uh, with the buggy and the truck. You know, when we got home, they were, it was, I don't even, the days are a blur. So it's it's trying to piece bits together, but it would have been 
five, around five o'clock-ish, and they were just so excited and, um, come on, let's go for a ride, let's go for a ride. And so, of course, with the excitement of it, all three of them jumped in and they were just going for a quick little, um, you know, buzz around the paddock. And I was doing my thing if um, we had cows and pigs at the stage, as you do, and I was um, feeding them um, in one paddock and, um, you know, it's it's hard because I'm a bit of a rev head. I love um, any sort of, you know, cars and motorbikes and that type of thing. And, and when people talk about hooning, you know, you'll hear someone down the street and they'll gun their car and and your head automatically shoots up because you're like, oh, what was that? You know, yes. you want to look. And yes. on this particular day, I didn't hear anything. Like I, I was just going about my business, feeding the animals, and the first thing that I heard that I knew that something was wrong was my eldest son who was in their buggy screaming like this blue murder scream mum like he just screamed mum and I just happened to look up and see the buggy on its side and Rick and um, my eldest son um like moving around and I just slammed the doors of my car drove up there with the little one in the car and that's when I I saw what had happened the buggy had had rolled and um Sophie was on the ground and the neighbor um, who bought us our, so we're all sort of five-acre blocks. He was, he'd been out as well on his phone doing a business call and the first that he knew that something had happened and he was higher and had a visual of it was the screaming as well. So um, we both, he jumped the fence and and oh, it's like I said, it's a blur, but oh, yeah. um, we realised at that moment that something was seriously wrong with Sophie and so I called Triple O and um, spoke to the ambulance and they told me what to do and the neighbour and I um, followed their instructions um, and I sent my eldest son to the house with his baby brother who I said was just not quite two and um, said, you know, you need to call your dad, you need to get your dad here and you need to call Nanny which is um, Rick's mum and I just wanted him as far away from the the whole situation because I knew um, it was it wasn't good Sophie was not conscious and um, I don't yeah so I just I just wanted him away I thought I need to protect him um, and so but for the then it um took 27 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. Oh, um, in the meantime, we had, you know, um, a tow truck arrived because obviously they, they must hear things over their um, radio. So they'd arrived and it's actually a local guy and who's known to us and he must have been making some photos phone calls of his own being that you know those towies turn up to some pretty serious accidents so um it felt like within a matter of you know not long after the initial ambulance arrived sort of it was police and ambulance and the cfa and a, and a air helicopter landed in our paddock and um it was just chaos like utter chaos there was people everywhere and 
the minute that the ambulance said um, we'll take over now, I kind of just like it, it's like my brain's blocked a lot of it because it was like I was in a daze. Um, and, yeah, obviously you've got the police coming to you and and I had the neighbours coming to me and a neighbour's like, what can I do? And I'm like, can you go up to the house and be with the other two children because I'd left them up there on their own and and then, you know, family members started to arrive. My eldest son had made his phone call so, you know, his his father and stepmom arrived and Rick's mum arrived and um, other, other family, Sophie's um mum's family started to arrive and oh. and it was you know then we had the ses and it's just people asking me like how do we turn the electric fence off and i couldn't even figure that out like my brain had literally just shut down um and in the end i think i just chose to come up to the house and um and yeah removed myself from what was happening in the paddock um, and, you know, but even then I still had people in the house, family, police, um, an ambulance officer checking out my eldest son. Um, yeah, it was utter chaos, like just phenomenal chaos. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> chaos is just a word that comes to mind when I talk about that day. No, because and the problem there, um, Teresa, and gee, I don't know how you've been able to get through that to tell us. <laughs> um, I just cannot imagine. And I think chaos is a really good word because it's just everybody is um, panicking um, or, I mean, the ambos and that wouldn't be, but, uh, you know, you've got all these emotions going on. Yeah. And was little Sophie, was she... Could you still – had she been taken away by this stage by the no. chopper? Oh, so she's still no. there, which is even yeah. harder. Yeah. Right. So um, they uh, – I'm not 100% sure, but my my initial and my gut feeling is that from the moment of the accident, she had passed. Like there was no sign of life. Um, and so when the, like that was, and because like literally I was doing CPR with the neighbours for 27 minutes before an ambulance arrived. So I think I was utter exhaustion. Like you you don't think that doing CPR takes, you know, but once you've done it, you'll understand that it's just full bodily exhaustion and and trying to, you know, my brain trying to listen to the ambulance um, triple O person and, and, and communicate with the other people that were helping me, what they're saying and trying to do my job and everything. And then afterwards when the ambulance um, people arrived, I, you know, just stepping back and then I just went down the house because I just thought it's, it's, it's not gonna. This is this is not good. Um, I need I need to to go see my other children, um, and and be with them. Um, I didn't see Rick uh, until probably maybe two or three o'clock in the morning. The um, one of the officers had come to the house and said he's been arrested and taken away, which was like oh. that's the I guess that first terminology where you you literally your heart just 
falls through the bottom of your feet where you just hear that your partner who's just lost his daughter and been in an accident has just been arrested um, to be interviewed. And it's like that was, I guess, the start of all that, a new a new terminology, um, a, new, <laughs> a new way of life, I guess, of police, courts, all this stuff that we'd never had because we're clean skins. We've got nothing, maybe a couple of speeding fines, not mine, his. <laughs> um, I don't do, no, um, just, you know, like never been to courts, never been in trouble with the police, never had anything to do with, I've, I've never, oh, you know, I've called an ambulance out once, um, you know, never even had much to do with the ambulance system. You know, it's just. You were thrown, literally thrown into a unknown world yeah and I'm just thinking to myself there is so much going on obviously uh, and so much trauma and everything but then for the police to come and say to you your husband has been arrested I, I just cannot I can't get my head around that I mean I know why the police have done that but as from your point of view to actually be going through all that and then your husband is taken away, like, yeah, wow, yeah, and and not knowing where to. I think they they may have told me, but at the same time that they were talking to me, I was at one end of the house, and someone had, I hadn't actually told my eldest son that his sister had passed away. Um, I just I, I needed to deal with the police first and then I was going to do that. But then somebody obviously didn't know that he hadn't been told and meant, and said, you know, um, something like she's in a better place now or something like that. And all I heard was this blood-curdling scream again from him mm. where he just lost it because it became real. At that moment for both of us it just became real like this is the moment we both know that your little sister is is gone and she's not coming back so it was yeah it was just the worst day of my life oh, <laughs> in so many facets w- words could not you know how do you come i'm thinking to myself now if you were next to me or with me i'd just put my arms around you and you know cuddle you like how do you ever you say it's the worst day of your life. That is really um, an understatement, isn't it? How do you? No, uh, yeah, there's no. You can't. No. You can't describe it. No, no. But I, you may not be able to. But gee, I tell you, Teresa, what you've um, just how you've explained it there. I feel like I'm actually there. I really do. And I was just going to ask, and and if there's anything I ask that you don't feel comfortable with, you just tell me. But I was just going to ask. So did Sophie um, actually go in the air ambulance or she was passed no, away? And, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. So because it was deemed a crime scene. Yes. And I do that in inverted commas. Yes, I thought um, you were. <laughs> it, it was uh, – um, so just to paint a picture of the night as the night went on, so obviously Rick was taken away for – questioning, interviewing, whatever that they do. Um, the SES had set up a – because by this stage it's pitch black and it's in a paddock and, um, you know, the media have, have 
bombarded. They're there doing their um, interviews. I know later on I found out um, Sophie's best friend actually found out about the whole thing because she um, saw a she saw a news clip and the news um, camera had panned in on Sophie's sneaker, which was a very distinctive oh. coloured sneaker, which she'd obviously worn that day um, and had heard, seen, the, like, so seen the sneaker, seen the buggy, obviously, you know, had known, oh, we're picking up a buggy today. And, you know, Yara Glenn and a nine-year-old put all the pieces together and just lost it. And I remember her mum telling me that and I just thought, oh, my God, you know, like you don't think about the extended ripples of how how our tragedy has affected and, and, and how other people found out and then their way of dealing with it. Um, but, you know, getting back to that night, the SES had obviously set up big spotlights and because it was deemed a crime scene, they um, le- were leaving it till the next day to come and do all their measurements and um, photographs and stuff like that. So quite late that night, um, Sophie was taken away um, by, I'm assuming, the coroner. Um, but overnight we had a police car and officer or officers, I don't know, I didn't go down there, posted to our property um, all night. So um, they sat and made sure no one tampered with the crime scene. Again, I do that. In. <laughs> um, and then the next day, um, obviously, more family came and um, they, the police officers come up to the house and they said, look, we're going to have a uh, police helicopter overhead shortly um, with cameras taking, you know, aerial footage. It's going to be quite loud. Um, we're also going to be uh, a police um, officer will be driving the the buggy um, and trying to recreate what happened to see if it's a, a vehicular um, error. So, of course, you know, I'm now watching the the machine that um, that you know, I guess, caused the accident, um, got the helicopter going over. There's just so much um, happening and I've got people turning up and offering condolences and, you know, I'm just still in this shell shock days. I'd, I'd sent, um, I got people to take Rick um, off the property while all this was happening just because it was it, it was too much for me so I can't even imagine what it would have been for, like for him. Um, my eldest son had of that night gone to hospital just to be checked over and he'd gone to um, from there to his dad and stepmums and he'd stayed he stayed there for probably a month if not a bit longer before he felt like he could come oh, home yeah um, and just yeah, just the extraordinary. Like it, it was just so traumatic on so many levels, and yeah, I don't know. It's just so hard to talk about because I don't have the. I can't put in words how bad and traumatic and horrifying and horrific the whole, um, you know, 
situation was. Teresa, trust me, you have put it beautifully. Unfortunately, it's a, a terrible term to use, but you have put it um, so well. Your words are for somebody that has gone through what you've gone through. As I said, I actually feel like I'm there with you. So um, don't be so hard on yourself. Isn't it funny? Uh, we all uh, feel, I, I don't think we understand how um, we're hard on ourselves, I suppose, sometimes when we try and explain something. But uh, trust me, Teresa, it, you're incredible. I want to take you back to you said that um, on the night that the, the police are there minding the um, c- containing the crime scene, you've got people coming and all that sort of stuff. But you did say then that you suggested somebody to take Rick off the property because it was just too much. So at some point Rick must have come back from the police station Yeah, so about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, the police brought him home um, and he was just beyond devastated. Um, Very little sleep was had by um, anybody, (laughs) Um, you know, but also knowing that we also have like, you know, a nearly two-year-old as well that I know needs to be looked after. Um, so just, you know, trying your best to, in the morning, pulling myself together to, to make, you know, life partially normal for him. Um, and, and just being there to support Rick the best that I can and, and knowing that they had said to me, oh, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be doing this testing on the buggy. This is what, um, it's going to be quite, um, confronting. So, yeah, with that, I just sort of got some some brother-in-laws or family members. I'm not can't even remember who now to just maybe just take him away to his go to his parents' place, um, which is in the same suburb, um, in the same town, and and just not be here while it's happening because um, it was it was really it was confronting. Like we all sat there and, and watched, and it was yeah, it was horrible a horrible experience Mm. Uh, what did rick say about did he talk to you when he came home about the what had happened at the police station um not a lot i think he was just so shell-shocked like we, I mean, obviously we've talked about it since. Um, they asked him, you know, do you want a solicitor or a bar? And I think he, he was just so um, overcome by devastation and grief that they they could have asked him anything that night and he probably just would have said yes or agreed because he was just so um, out of it really. Like I, I honestly think he should have also have gone to hospital um, they offered that, but he said no. And I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, you also were in a vehicle accident of such. So it should have just been an immediate thing, but it didn't happen. Um, you know, like, I guess there's lots of, I have a little bit of anger towards the situation of that night where I think that they possibly didn't do the right thing by him, mm-hmm. um, by not, not, um, making you know sure that he did go to hospital, and just giving him that that um, 
that time to for things to sink in. Yes, yeah. If you know what I mean. Oh, a- absolutely. And the fact that um, he was so shocked, like I don't think there's a nicer way to put it, but he's been in a buggy where um, his daughter has been killed and he then, like that in itself would be unimaginable. But then on top of that, he's at the police station and being asked all these questions. I understand. I can sort of see both sides. I certainly understand from your Rick's point of view. Um, But from a police point of view, it's imperative that you uh, do this ASAP. However, you cannot uh, interview somebody if well, you know, not that you cannot. I'm getting myself into a hole here, but they've got to be um, mentally uh, capable of being interviewed. But also, I hear what you're saying. Like he was probably, I don't know. He probably could have um, had something wrong with him um, physically as well, because as you say, he was in the buggy. So. What happens from there? You said something to me a while ago about um, the, all the the court and the you'd been thrown into this world that you knew nothing about, all these words, all these people. But at one point there you said you had to make a statement about your husband. Tell us about that. So... Um, there's a little bit of a background um, that... My that Sophie's maternal grandfather is a major crash investigation um, officer or ex-officer, like he's no longer, I don't think he's part of the service. So initially on the night that the first um, major crash investigation team arrived, they couldn't continue with the investigation because of a um, conflict of interest because they'd actually been to the property for a birthday party for Sophie's grandfather. Okay. So then it had to be handed to um, I think the Bruns, they were maybe from around Brunswick area. Um, so, you know, you've got that already. Like there's like that inner circle of um you know, I guess from our perspective, we know nothing, but the other side of the family have have more knowledge because of um, police connections. So um, towards the end of the month where um, the accident happens, the investigating officer asked me to come in and, and give my statement of what had happened that night. So obviously everyone, the neighbours, um, the the salesman that sold the vehicle, um, everyone had to give statements. So obviously I have to, which is r- really hard knowing that the statement that you give is being built by the, um, you can help me here, is it the defence, no, the prosecution prosecution um, team. So I um, essentially am helping the police, (laughs) Um, which is just the most awful situation when, you know, but I have, I have to, I have to do it. There wasn't a way around it. So um, from when I did that, 
So essentially the the accident happened towards the end of 2013, um, around six, six or eight months later, charges were laid. So, you know, you've got, that's a fair distance of time. And from when the accident happened to when we went to court for um, the trial or sentencing, it was two years. So you're in limbo, um, aren't you? For those two you're in limbo yeah, for yeah. two years. Yeah. Um, in that time, we'd also had another another child um, who was four months old when we were going for the sentencing um, hearing. Because in the end, um, they accepted that he pled guilty to one of the charges um, or a couple of the charges, and the um, the police prosecution um, accepted that. So instead of having to go to a trial where all us witnesses would be subpoenaed and you know, even receiving a subpoena, like I got my paperwork and it's got a bag of money attached to it and I was like, what on earth is this for? And the police officer, because they have to deliver it to you, you know, so you've got a police car coming onto your property and my children were petrified of police. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. These cars coming onto the property I'll because of, were, you know, yeah. it's last, you know, dad gets taken away in them, so <laughs> Um, you know, it's quite, 
quite um, upsetting for them. And um, they, they hand me a, a subpoena. I'm being subpoenaed to the court against my partner, you know, like the, it's layman's terms, but I'm sort of like going to essentially be nail, putting the nails in his coffin, so to speak, of whatever I say, um, which is just, you know, you can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. Um, you know, even when he was um, charged, they released him on bail. Mm. Is that right? Yes, that's so. right. Yeah. Um, and his bail conditions, obviously, is he's not allowed to, he's got to hand in his passport, he's not allowed to go to airports, he's not allowed to do this, he's not allowed to do that. But he is, um, he's allowed to communicate, he's not allowed to communicate with witnesses, but he's allowed to obviously communicate with me, um, which it had to be specified on his bail conditions because I'm a I'm a witness for the prosecution, but I'm also his partner and I live with him. And, um, you know, I mean, our case was just so abnormal in the fact that the um, defendant or whatever was the father of the victim and the stepfather of the other victim. Um, and you've got a witness living with a defendant and also a victim. Um, and that's without just, adding you to the mix because, yeah. you know, you're the mother of the child that has, oh, the, well, yeah, we are, well, you were. You stepmother. Step yeah, but for all intents and purposes, let's say, um, well, yeah, the stepmother of the child, you're the mother of the eldest boy that was in the accident. Mm. The what, Like, as you're saying, that is complicated. Mm. And and trying to support a devastated father who's lost his only daughter, but also his like the connection that he so he pretty much raised her from when she was two. Like his marriage dissolved when she was two. So from two, you know, he, he, it's always been him and Sophie, everything. And then um, my son and I come along, and then it was the four of us. Then, do you know what I mean? So it's just they, they did absolutely everything together. They would go boating, fishing, um, motorbike riding, full driving, you name it, they did it together. His quasi, um, quasi son that used to wear yeah. the um, the fairy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. the fairy wings. Yeah, like yeah. she was just she was just into everything with him. Like he, you know, they'd dig a hole and, and she'd have her shovel in under his, you know, like it yeah. was just – yeah. Um, they're sh like, or just say, oh, look, here comes Rick and his two shadows. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just they were the three of them yeah. were thick as thieves. They were always doing stuff together. You've just made me think of something there, Teresa. What, what um, did the accident change the relationship between Rick and your eldest son? No. Um, my eldest son was angry not about the accident he was angry when the court with the court stuff so he he just couldn't believe that that the court system could take take him away like take he's taken him I've already lost my sister and now he's taking him away from me as well yeah yeah um and he really struggled with being here 
without Rick. Um, and I think Rick was probably in jail for maybe two, three months and he just decided it was too hard um, being here with just mum and two little brothers. Um, so he went to live at his dad's. Um, they lived in the same suburb at that stage. So, um, but a lot less um, stressful for him to be at dad's and, and not be here with everything that mum has going on because mum had a lot <laughs> going on. Uh, as I said before, that's an understatement. So what sort of support did you get uh, victims of crime? I suppose there's a conflict as well. Uh, there's all sorts of issues, isn't there? I'll, I'll say none initially um, because we were looked at as the family of the... Defendant, the accused. Um, mm. Defendant. Mm. So um, it wasn't until a few other things happened and I essentially found out that um, Sophie's brother from mum's side, stepdad and, and mum had actually been able to access victims of crime, mm. um, that in my brain I've gone, well, why can't my eldest son? He was actually in it mm, mm. and if he's in it then why can't I as the mother mm. of him? Mm. Um, so I took it upon myself to contact them to find out what was available in the way of maybe counselling or that type of thing. Um, and long story short, because I am living with the um, defendant, I'm not eligible to, for anything, um, which is fine. Um, but my son, my son was able to, but we'd missed our window um, because I, I can't remember. It might be two years or something like that, or three years, and and we'd gone past that. So, you know, but, but Teresa, the- you'd missed your window because somebody hadn't. Like that's not your responsibility. Somebody should be contacting you. You are a victim, as you say, you are the mother of a young man that has been involved in a fatal accident and yep. it's not up to you. That, that yeah. somebody well, I wouldn't have thought. No, somebody should have contacted yep. you um, and even explained why you couldn't, you know, like just at least contact you. I mean, you don't have to um, counsel them. You can put them on to somebody for counselling. You know, it just seems that the system is so, what's that word, um, tight that you can't go, you know, outside the the, the directions or what the instructions. Yeah. Just mm. So, I mean, in their defence, um, they did in the end. They they because we had extenuating circumstances, I guess you could say. Um, I guess <laughs> they <laughs> did. Yeah. They did. Um, they did end up looking at a case for my eldest son. So, um, uh, and the other thing is, there's a certain amount of money that's allocated per crime, and. Um, I would say 95% of that allocation for this crime, again, I do it in inverted commas, mm. was um, wiped out already, had already been allocated. Um, and my 
I, I then went into battle for him because I thought, no, this is not good enough. One, we've been forgotten. Two, he was actually in the accident. Like he was in the accident. He, sh- you know, so if the little brother who was three at the time of the accident, so if his little brother from mum's side got something, then my son should be, you know, he, he was actually in it. He, he was there. He witnessed it. He, he's going to live with this and a lot more for the rest of his life. So I, I then, you know, prepared myself for a new battle in the court system, um, you know, going to another solicitor that specialises in this and, and doing more statements and more things you've got to get signed off on by this person and that person and, and more hearings and then they'd come back with this offer and and then we'd go back and say well no we don't think that's good enough and you know go back with you know it's just it, it felt like even still to this day it's like a never-ending story really because there's always something that pops up yeah yeah and unfortunately too Teresa at will you know, so, um, forever, forever. Uh, yes, and, and you know you can't sugarcoat that. That's that's true. Could you tell us about the day that Rick went to jail? <laughs> so his um, solicitor, barrister, lawyer, whatever that you want to give them a name. We had um, a few. We had uh, a senior council. We had Queen's Council. We had barristers, and and one particular person had said look just just bring a bag with you to to the court just toothbrush change your clothes you know just in case god you end up being taken away that that day Mm. and we were just like and he's like the likelihood of that is very very low we're like okay so we're at court with our bag and and um support group of like that was the other thing the amount of support our family had was incredible. Like so many people came to every court hearing, even the five-minute ones and, um, you know, letters of support, um, character references. Um, the court the court was full. We had, you know, the in the actual courtroom, which is intimidating in itself. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The um, defendant sits in a a box at the back of the court and we're all sitting in the seats looking at the the judge and the media's camped out in the the jury box um they put the the media in there because there was so many of them and and you know some of their media statements you know like I saw one headline killer buggy dad like yeah gee guys that's that's delightful nice um nice heading you've got there i mean we we ha- we now have a saying that you don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, and the media, a lot of what they wrote was just so wrong, mm. sensational, and like they're sensational, sensationalized. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and I'm like, how many battles do I want to pick? Like, do I want to do I want to bring it to their attention that they've done the wrong thing? Mm. Um, I learned that the media can go in and steal your Facebook photos. That was a big thing I learned because my. Facebook profile was used all over media and I'm like, how's that legal? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. just just lots of things that you don't think of when you just throw something up on Facebook that it can and will be used against you. <laughs> um, but, you know, so Rick's sitting at the back of the thing and, and they break for lunch and 
he comes out and we're chatting and he's still got his, we run our own business. So he's got his mobile phone in his pocket. And I said, give me your phone. You know, like we don't know what's going to happen and just give it to him. He said, oh, it'll be right. It'll be right. And then we come back in from lunch and it's almost like he goes, uh, the, the judge goes something like, uh, Rick, blah, 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 blah. Um, take him away. <gasps> and I was, and then a door shuts. And I and you turn and, and he's gone, and I look at I look at everyone around me and they're like, they've just taken him away, and it was like um, sentencing will be back on Friday at da da da, and this is Monday, and you're like, okay, so he's he's literally gone. Like he says, I left the property that day, and I didn't come back for two years and three months. Like it's like you go you leave home one day and you don't come back. And that's what it was like. It was just, I've got no words. Like, and then the solicitor comes out and he's kind of in shock and, and um, everyone's looking at each other, not knowing what to do. And he says, look, we'll, we'll get a, a conference room and we all cram into this conference room. And he says, right, um, he, Teresa, did you bring that bag? And I'm like, yeah, I've got your stupid bag. Like, it's like, well, you're going to have to go to the um, map, the Melbourne assessment prison, and you're going to have to take it down there, but you're going to have to hurry because, you know, it'll nearly be shut and rah, rah, rah. And, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, so my baby goes to somebody who's going to take them home and, and somebody says, I'll drive you and we fly across town. And then, mm. oh, my God, the Melbourne assessment prison, don't even get me started on that hellhole. Yeah, um, it's a hellhole, you're right. Yep. You know, you walk in and you go into this thing and it shoots air at you and and you know, that's a shock. And then you go and it's, it's just horrendous. And I'm like, I'm here. My partner's just been taken away. I'm assuming he's going to turn up here. Here's his bag, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but then going back to the solicitor and saying, I need his phone. Like that phone is our business, like, you know, trying to get that back. And um, yeah, it was just like a whirlwind. Mm. And one minute he's there and one minute he's gone. Yes, and I've experienced that uh, side. I, I've watched a lot of, I've been in court a lot, and it. I cannot imagine how that must feel to watch your, you know, somebody that you know, let alone your husband, um, be taken out when the, the judge says remove the, because that's what they generally say, remove the prisoner. Yeah, or remand him in custody or whatever it was like. So um, that whirlwind, but how did it? How did you cope with the Friday when you have to go back for sentencing and you see him come out into the court? I I don't think I actually saw him because we file in first, and obviously we're sitting looking forward, and it's so full of people that you're too scared to look anywhere in case, like the media. You know, or, or you look, you happen to look at the other, the other, the, the other family, mm, or mm. Um, and I and I know he's he's behind me, and then the you know everyone's please stand, da, da, da. and it's just like it's like those cartoons where you hear them, you'll hear a word, and then you, all you hear is blah 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 blah, <laughs> blah, and then another word, and then all of a sudden it's just like oh hell breaks loose, yeah, yeah, and. And that's what it was like. But then it's like um, I'm sentencing him for this for this long and this for this long and this for this long and that for that long and then this one could be in conjunction with this and this. So it's it's five years and, and nine months and I'm just hearing five years and nine months going, holy mm. hell, mm. 
are you effing serious? Mm. What, what? And then they say, um, with a parole of da, 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 da. And, and then I'm like, what does this mean? Like, what are they saying? How, just someone tell me how effing long he's, he's gone for. And then, you know, somehow it got to me that he's gone for two years and three months. And it's like, holy crap. You know, it's just one one thing after another for you. What what sort of help did you get? Like there's so many questions I could ask you, Teresa, but I'm just thinking to myself now, how did you cope? Like did you have somebody, did you have counselling? Because as you say, you've got one whirlwind after another, you've got one fight after another, you've got all these emotions. Did you get any help or were offered any help? Um, I, th- I think we, I think I did. I think when I, I got hold of victims of crime, I did, um, I was able to access um counseling for me and for my son and my son I did take my son but he just and boys men they're not much different they're not big talkers they they lock everything down and she pretty much said you're wasting your time and money um he's not he's not going to talk um so and then with myself I think I went a couple of times but Whilst this is happening, I'm running our business. I'm looking after my children. I'm going to see him daily or making sure he has a daily visitor at the map. But then he got transferred within a few weeks of being at the map to Beechworth Correctional Centre, um, which is three hours from our home. And yeah. at that point you could visit um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and public holidays. Um, because I wanted to make sure that he maintained a relationship with the two little ones, I went every weekend and stayed there for the weekend. So I would book accommodation. So I'd be like, I've got to book accommodation in Beechworth. I'd pack up porticots and high chairs and prams and clothing and bedding and stuff for the little ones and um, drive up there and, I, you know, I was breastfeeding at the time so I lost my milk supply oh. because of the stress and so then it's bottles and formula and <laughs> making sure your accommodation has a microwave and a kettle and um, and then going into to this, to, to visit um, in the jail, you know, that's, <laughs> that's um, you know, a whole other um experience and you know it's just there was just so many things happening so me personally I didn't have time to think about the situation um it was just literally on autopilot you know look after the kids look after the business make sure um Rick's okay where he is he's got what he needs where he is Mm. um make sure my eldest son's okay um you know, communicate with the school. He was at a really supportive school and they had the chaplain talking to him and his teacher was amazing and um, just just so many different things. And, then, you know, work-wise we had a lot of things going on as well where we'd started these ventures, you know, like maybe building building something and I had to complete that and um, just, yeah, maintaining employees and um, you, you they're all like, shell-shocked. You sound like superwoman. 
oh, I, you know, a lot of people, they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, you just do. You, you don't, you, you don't have any other choice. Like I could fall in a heap, but that's not going to help anybody. So I'll just do what I have to do. I, I might, and do, that was I might my, do it that for was... you, Teresa. I might yeah. do it for you. <laughs> hey, uh, tell us about the um, how Ricky managed in jail. So Map was horrendous. He, you know, we hadn't even visited anyone in jail before, so we had no concept. Um, I mean, I, I love, which is, you know, where I know you from, my true crime stuff, so I listen to a lot of um crime, true crime podcasts and, and read up about, you know, different stuff. And so I, I this is things, this interests me. Um, so I was like going in sort of like with my eyes open going, wow, you know, and when I got in there, I was like, oh, holy hell, this is horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, Map was horrendous. He was only there for a few days and he saw somebody get stabbed with a fork because someone was wearing someone's t-shirt and he sort of walked out and this guy's like, oh, you're wearing my t-shirt. He's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, step, step, step. So he's just turned around and walked back into his cell like, holy shit, I'm not coming out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just like, just, just little things. I mean, that was map because map is like the holding cell, the holding prison of, of every person that's ever been you know you could have murderers in with somebody who's had a driving offense or a drink driver or a white collar you know like it's everybody's lumped in together um so that was even visiting him in you know he's got that that i think it's a green jumpsuit on backwards and he's cable tied into it so that you can't slip them anything like and then they wouldn't let me and the baby out until they'd strip searched him and made sure he didn't have any contraband on him and then they would release me um you know like just just things like that that you never in your wildest imagination could even think about um so so map was horrible that's something you just said then about uh true crime and you know that's um you until you actually live it, like true crime is entertainment almost, you know, it, it's a bit of an escape for people to listen to and whatever. But when it becomes reality, that's a whole <laughs> new ball game, isn't that's it? A whole, it's a whole different saga. Um, yeah, even just, I mean, he got transferred to Beechworth and Beechworth is a minimum security prison it's probably one of the newer ones at that time but a much more family orientated so that it's got a so you've got your visitor center and you come sort of down some steps into like a grassed area with a playground and it wasn't there when it started but they ended up bringing in because it's a farm prison too so they would have like animal pens with baby goats and calves and chickens and had a bird aviary and sandpit, um, cabbie house, that type of thing. So uh, there was a barbecue at that time. You could There was a kiosk in the visitor centre. You could order a meat pack and have a barbecue with your, with your inmate <laughs> um, and um, family members. So that was a lot nicer, I guess, to, to you know, it, it didn't feel like you were going, there was no razor wire and barbed wire and you know it it didn't feel like you were going to a prison i mean on the odd occasion they'd have the dog squad units you know put a dog through your car or 
put you through a lineup and, you, you know, you'd have to say to your child, you know, don't touch the dog, just stand still. Like how do you tell oh. a four-year-old to stand still? Like it's beyond me. Um, you know, just things like that. But we never, I guess, really told our, like the the middle one that dad was in jail. I just said dad's gone away to work because jail is for bad people and my dad's not bad. So how do I, how do you explain that to a four-year-old? You, you can't, you can't. No. So we, we just let him find it out by himself and eventually one one night we, we had family visits in a, in a family cabin and he just said to, to Rick, one, Dad, when you get out of jail, can we do blah, blah, blah? And we just sort of looked at each other over his head and went, yeah. he know, you know. Isn't that you know? amazing? <laughs> so, um, but it was just, just something that he said after that, like, you know, when Dad's out of jail, we'll do this. Yeah. When Dad's out of jail, we'll do that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, um, you had... Uh, your fortieth was a little bit different, I believe. Your fortieth birthday. What can you tell <laughs> us about that? <laughs> yeah, so um, I had my fortieth in jail. It was pretty exciting. I had a birthday cake and everything. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It is so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Well, we laugh. The the little one had his first three Christmases in jail as well. Um. And, you know, so poor kid, he didn't have a Christmas at home for the first sort of three years. Um, but, no, so um, at Beechworth, I don't know about other other prisons, but at Beechworth they have a like a kiosk canteen and you could order birthday cakes or, like I said before, meat packs um, through the guy that ran it. So, you know, we'd all, and then um, he'd put a candle, not that you could light it, but, you know, there'd be a candle and he'd, you know, cost cost a bomb, but you know, like it was like we could have a birthday cake and they could sing happy birthday and sometimes they would have another inmate come into the visitor centre that, that had a camera and he would take photos of family groups and then the inmate would order photos of that. So we ha I've you know got birthday photos in jail. Oh just yeah. And my birthday is the day before Christmas, so it's you know it's a great, great time of the year to be in jail Christmas time. Well, if, if there's, yeah, you're right. I don't know where to go with that. Um, look, I suppose we'd better uh, start winding up. It, it is just, there's so many questions I want to ask uh, Teresa. But there's a couple that um, I just wanted to finish off with. Um, can you tell us about Rick coming home? Yeah, so... Um, not long after he was there, they changed it so that you couldn't actually pick them up from the prison. You'd have to pick them up from a neighbouring town. So in this particular case, it was Wangaratta and um, an officer dropped him there with his, like a garbage bag full of his possessions and, um, you know, picked him up and uh, I didn't take the kids with me. I just drove up on my own and, and got him and I just thought he's going to need some time, some quiet time in the car to, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. to, 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 you know, after being there for that long, you sort of feel like you're escaping. So he, he just, you know, I gave him his phone and that was pretty funny to watch. <laughs> Sad but funny because he's like, I don't even remember how to turn the bloody thing on. Like he's like, I don't know how to use it. Yeah. And having to explain how to use um, his iPhone to him, 
you know, like and iPhones change so frequently. So the newer ones had all this fandangled stuff and he's not tech savvy at the best of times. So it was like, you know, he was, it was like a foreign object to him. And then when we come home, he just sort of walked around. I, I think I had the kids dropped off like maybe half an hour after we got home. Before he got home, I'd bought a couple of little presents from him, like for him to give to the kids when he got home. Yeah. Like, oh, dad's home, you know. Um, The baby hadn't even known dad to be at home because he was only four months old and he was, you know, what was he in, like two and a half, Mm -hmm. nearly three when dad come home. So it was weird and they would always come to me and ask me for things and I'd say, you know, you can ask dad. Dad's in the kitchen. Go and ask him for a drink. But they, he was still like a, just not a normal person in the house to them. Like they just weren't used to him being around and and he would walk around just sort of like, can I have a drink? I'm like, sure, they're your house. <laughs> you know? yeah. He's like, oh, can I go to the toilet? I'm like, knock yourself out. <laughs> you know, like you could, he's like, oh, do you reckon you could drive me down the street? And I'm like, no, but you can drive yourself down there. You know, it was just all those like – just weird, but then, you know, initially the day you come out, you've got to go to see your parole officer. So then that starts and that's a whole new saga, you know, like your meetings, your this, your that, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just, just you know, at, in jail you a bell rings, you line up for a bell, they do a count, you know, you go off and do your work, you, the bell goes again, you line up again. You know, there's none of that like – can I turn the telly on? I'm like, it's your telly. <laughs> you know, like just just having to, um, I did say, but, you know, sorry, you can only watch Home and Away at this time of night because that's the only thing that works. <laughs> just, I'm like, hang on, I'm not sharing the television anymore. <laughs> so, um, just little funny things, but, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, look, um, you've been through the ringer, Teresa, and the fact that you can speak so well, so eloquently about it, um, it's a, it is really a credit to you. There's just uh, two things, one more thing I want to ask. What was Rick charged with? What was the charge? So there were seven, um, seven charges from... <laughs> culpable driving, dangerous driving, causing death, reckless conduct, endangering life, and some minor ones like um, failure to wear seatbelts, stuff like that. So I think he pled guilty to dangerous driving. I think I could be because from what I can remember from back then, culpable carried a 20-year sentence and dangerous was like a 10 year and it's all it's all lawyer and solicitor and barrister talk and court judge you know all of that so it's really confusing but it's yeah so i think in the end it was a couple of my one of the dangerous and maybe a, a little bit more of a minor one um is what he ended up pleading guilty to which saved us all from having to obviously go to court as witnesses and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, mm. so. Uh, to finish off with, you made the mistake at one point <laughs> we talked about mentioning just in passing that you'd managed to have sex whilst in jail. 
I now, thought you'd laugh at that. <laughs> I did. You're right. <laughs> I don't imagine that would have been five star with champagne and breakfast in bed somehow. No, it wasn't at all. So what they have, what they call, if you talk out of resi visits um, or residential stays. So after a, an inmate has stayed, this is this is at, at Beechworth at that time. Please don't um, feel like you have to explain. No, no, <laughs> that you get what you call a residential visit. So you go to like um, a, a cabin and you get to spend like say four hours together as a family. Yeah. <laughs> and in that four hours, it's like he's like, okay, well, what? And at some stage, you were allowed to bring food in. So I'm like, what do you want to bring? He's like, bring a sheet, bring this, bring that. I'm like, oh, I know what you want. <laughs> so I mean, this is this is so romantic. So we pop the kids in front of the television with a DVD or a, oh, or a video, okay. and you know, and had a little bit of mummy and daddy time as yeah. as we were, yeah. as, you know, it's it's called in our house, and and you know, it's sort of. That was, it was, it was, um, but you can hear the PA from the prison <laughs> and they'll also do a, um, like a, I guess it's like a welfare check where they, they push a button and you've got the, the inmates got to say that they're there. And then the, the wife or the partner has to also say that they're there and that they're not, um, yep. you know, just not bashing me or something in there. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. And, you know, you're just like, I bet you that will happen right, you know, at a pivotal moment, yeah. um, which it didn't, but do you know what I mean? Like you've got all these things going through your head. So, yeah, no, definitely not romantic. <laughs> you know, and- <laughs> there's a couple of lines there that I will choose to ignore. <laughs> but when the bell goes, and are you there, Rick? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's I, great. I think we might just leave it right there, yeah. Teresa, because we could get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it went from four-hour visits to overnight stays, so oh. you know, we did end up spending some good quality but, family time in yeah. there. But yeah, it was when I, I get to say to people, "Well, I bet you've never had sex in jail," and they're like, "No," and I like start laughing, and I'm like, "Well, I have." <laughs> you know what, Teresa? I think we might leave it on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much for being so open, sharing so much about uh, what happened. And I don't really know how to say how sorry um, I am for your loss of Sophie uh, and for, you know, obviously for Rick as well. Like, I can't imagine what you've all been through, but mm. you sound an incredibly strong, capable, incredible, inspirational woman. So thank you so much for sharing what you have today. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks, Narelle. it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.